Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Cheryl Perry and Jen Plim with Charlotte Smarty Pants. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're excited to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Moran. Hello, Dr. Moran. Hello. Thanks for How being here. Guys? Thanks for having me. So Dr. Moran is a gynecologist at Premier Gynecology and Wellness. She's been an OBGYN for over 10 years in Charlotte. She actually delivered my fourth baby. Woohoo! Um, so I can attest to her wonderful care. Um, so, and she opened the practice, Premier Gynecology and Wellness, in 2019, and she focuses now solely on bookends, right? Liz? The bookends, yes. Um, we don't do active uh, prenatal pregnancy care now, but see a lot of moms and daughters, adolescents, perimenopausal women, kind of those those areas that get a little bit lost in um, the big full service practices yeah. with, with the obstetrics. I love that. So I'm now happily a patient at, <laughs> at Premier. I, she's Liz is just amazing. She spends so much time with you. It's a very personal experience, and it's great for I think for my age, like post babies, and I'm really excited my daughter's going to be going to her um, soon enough. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Dr. Moran, just a little bit about Dr. Moran. She's a native Charlottean. She graduated from Charlotte Country Day School and Duke University, and she went to med school at Wake Forest. She completed her, her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Carolina's Medical Center, and um, she is the mom of two school age daughters. Did I get everything? Yes, indeed. Yeah. We're still so, friends after our competing uh, schooling. I know. We did. We're, we're arch rivals, high school and college. Nice. She's way smartier than I am, though. That is not true. So today, so Liz is going to be on two different podcasts with us. This is the first podcast. Um, we are going to be focusing on teenagers in, in this podcast. So today we're talking about teenagers, and the next podcast will be women's health. Perfect. So um, first question you specialize in pre and post baby women's health. Tell us why you chose this area of expertise. You know, I think as I was getting older um, in my own practice, I started seeing those two areas as being really, really rewarding as far as the amount of counseling that can go in. I really love counseling patients and helping um, with preventative care. And those were two segments that were a little hard. They have some unique challenges and were a little hard to find um, appropriate time or what I felt like was appropriate time um, because obstetrics is such a wonderful, wonderful part of women's health, but takes a lot of resources in a you know, mentally and with staff in a in a practice environment. So, mm-hmm. I thought um, that uh, the the uh, change would be good for me and for patients and something that's different that I'm passionate about. Yeah, I love it. I don't think that there's anything like it in Charlotte. So I just I love the whole concept. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I I can't tell you how many times. I've my appointments have had to be moved because of mm-hmm. deliveries, yeah. which I totally respect. But it's like okay, and also some other sensitivities for both of those um, groups. I mean, I still see women that are in actively in childbearing age. I just don't do their prenatal care, but especially for teens and menopausal women, you know, having a less crowded waiting room. There are not mm-hmm. a lot of pregnant women there. Yeah. There's not you know a lot of chaos. It's just more of a 
calm environment that we really try to see people on time because those are two age groups that do not have a lot of spare time. Kids are in school. Moms are busy. Like, I you love know, that you get that. And her it. office PS is beautiful. It's beautifully You're decorated. Nice it's that. so it's we really do have really good nice. parking. So That's yeah. key good too parking. for both teenagers and moms. Yeah, like yeah. we need in and mm-hmm. out. Yeah, no, that's great. Our spare time is not is not abundant when it yeah. comes to self care, especially. Mm-hmm. So, what age is the right age for teenagers to first come to the gynecologist? So, I'll say I don't see children per se. There is, there is a wonderful adolescent uh, pediatric gynecologist at. Atrium Health, Aaron Cook, who will see children that are having problems. Um, but I will see teenagers or adolescents of any age if they're having um, concerns. But I would love to get my hands on every teenager around 14 to 15, okay. um, not for an in-depth exam, but an introduction to women's health. And that's one of my favorite appointments. It's really nice to have them a few years before we're talking about going away to school or right. the next phase after high school. Tell us what that appointment looks like. So I love that first appointment. I really want it to be mom or caregiver and um, it's grandmother, dad, whoever is the primary person and the teenager. Mm-hmm. The three of us said it's it's a consultation, a counseling appointment only, almost always. There's very infrequent need for any type of uh, testing or exam. And uh, we sit knee to knee, the three of us in a triangle, and I, I do the same education um with, with that appointment, regardless of what the primary reason for the them being there, whether it's just an intro or a problem, um, it's really some education about what goes on with the body, the pathophysiology in a way they can understand um, of the menstrual cycle, and then go through different medications and, and concerns. And it really is about a 30-minute discussion mm-hmm. so between the like three of right us. right after yeah. they first get their period or? Yeah, I'll see them. I mean, the, the pediatrician, uh, the pediatricians generally are excellent in our community about referring if they're concerned about a menstrual yeah. irregularity generally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that's the majority that come in. But even if your teenager is doing perfectly fine, um, as far as you can tell, getting them in, it's, it's a learning process for these kids to learn how to advocate for themselves at the doctor, mm-hmm. to move from the pediatrician where they're like looking at the fish tank. You know, it's a, right. it's well, a it's transition. Kind of, it gives them a lot of anxiety, like my girls, because we had a male pediatrician who we adored their, their whole time. And at a certain point, they were like, uh, no, you know, we're not, yeah. they're totally. not comfortable talking about that. And um, Totally. And it's a skill set, you know, that, that I don't think we realize we're adults. Like we've had however long, uh, you know, years of of interacting with other adults in the healthcare setting, and they really haven't. And, and right. so it's, it's, it's helpful. Yeah, you don't want them to be in college, their first kind of time making their own appointment to be the holiday. This is a skill set I think they need to learn, even if they have zero issues. Right, right. Which I think it's so, it's just awesome. I can't, I, I just think it's such a benefit for the young girls to be able to even have rapport with you before they go to school. It's such a Yeah, we love that asset. a lot of mostly you know, there we get messages on our machine all the time that you know, a teenager will call. They they don't leave their name or information, their phone number. You know, they're used <laughs> yeah. to texting. You know, so we use that they as a little education point. We're like, yeah. you know, when you interact with a healthcare setting, you know, so it's it's even just education to that point, um, just to help them build confidence. And and my staff is really relaxed and laid back, and the environment's laid back. I'm really 
easy, hopefully, on them. We joke a lot. I have a stuffed uterus that if they look nervous, I'm, can, they can hold. You know, it's kind of a joke, but it, like, it takes the whole tone down, and it doesn't need yeah. to be so authoritative, or that's what we try to do. Yeah. So when do they um, – so what, what, what should they expect on a first visit of – with regard to like pelvic exams? And- sure. That's a great question. And I also would like to take the time to make sure, and I think adults get confused with this too, a pap smear and a pelvic exam are two, two separate things. things. Right. A pap smear is a component of a pelvic exam. Right. Um, so ACOG um, recommends pap smears begin at age 21. And a pelvic exam can be done anytime prior to that, but typically they really don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be on a case-by-case basis. And I, I really never do one at the first visit unless it's an extreme right. example that, I, that we've talked about beforehand, um, just because it takes some time. But um, generally 21 for a pap. So I have many patients that I've seen four and five years before they ever need a pelvic exam. So once they have the introductory meeting, do you say come back next year or do you say come back when you're 21? Like how does that relationship work? I like to see them if there's no problems and they need or want no medications um, for their periods or whatever. I like to see them annually as Mm -hmm. a preventative. And most health plans cover that preventative as well as the one with their pediatrician. So it's, you know, that's nice. And um, that just helps us build over time. If we start or we're working towards a goal together, then I'll generally try to see them, you know, every quarter right? Um, until we can get mm-hmm. to a place where it's a little bit less. But they enjoy coming in. We have fun. They, they don't usually dread it. I mean, they might dread it when they're in the waiting room, and they almost always leave at least sort of smiling, yeah. usually right. smiling. That's a good segue to birth control options. Yeah. What? Um, how do you start a conversation with your daughter about birth control options? As a parent or yeah. in the in the office setting? Um, let's start with as a parent. And, then, <laughs> so, and right. at what ahead of time, like, yeah. let's be real here. You know, things go fast, faster than you ever want to admit that they do. And so you kind of want to tackle it ahead of time so that it's not really awkward for you as mom knowing that you think something's going on and you want them to right. be able to come and to you. This is kind of that um, interesting dynamic that I think education on the front end before your daughter is sexually active or even if you're thinking she might be is key. I mean, there have been many studies that have shown that pay, uh, girls and adolescents that are better educated have a later time to starting right. with sexual activity and they have more information. So at least in the office environment, my girls are only um, going on 10 and going on seven. So we haven't gotten into this in huge detail yet, but I like to start about the physiology of the menstrual cycle. Why do we have this? Right. I mean, I do girl talks for, for girls as young as 10 with their moms, groups of them. What, what are periods? What are they? And then most of most birth control has a dual purpose of being a contraceptive as well as controlling some of the um, unfavorable aspects of the cycle. So I, I a lot of times start it that way. Yeah. I'm like, here you hit, you know, you mm-hmm. have terrible acne or cramps or whatever it is. This is why that's happening scientifically, medically. These are medications that we have. Oh, and hey, by the way, 14-year-old, this is how it works for birth control. You know, right, and kind of right. give them that little moment where they're getting the information, but not in a way that is somehow accusatory. Because right. I think that kind of stops the mm-hmm. But then when the you dialogue. want then when you want it to actually work as birth control, 
you know, there's there's another conversation about that because Absolutely. they yeah. might forget their pill and then it doesn't right. really work for birth control, right? Totally. Yeah, we go over pros and cons. I mean, that's the way I approach it with my teens, whether yeah. or not th- I think they're sexually active or not, or they admit that to me or whatever is, this is how this works. This is how this works for birth control. This is the limitations of the different aspects. I have a bucket of show and tell. Um, Literally, I have an example pill pack, a patch, a ring, an IUD model, an implant. I mean, we go through it category by category, pros and cons, whether it's a lot of information for them, then I give them a handout. And sometimes it starts as a very often starts as a conversation of something like skin or Mm -hmm. cramps or or whatever. And then they eventually, I feel like by the time they're sexually active, they understand. Ideally have more options besides the pill? You mentioned patch and IUD. Are those options for teenagers or young women? There are more options than ever before. Um, In the, the, there are two main categories of of, uh, reversible birth control, um, which really 70% of prescriptions for birth control uh, are used for cycle control or Mm -hmm. negative aspects of the cycle, regulation, cramps, acne. I mean, you don't get a prize for ovulating all your eggs. I tell people that all the all the time <laughs> on both in both ends of the bookend. Like you don't, you know, periods are there because of ovulation that's not fertilized. And if you're not trying to use that egg for fertilization, there's not necessarily a reason to to have that over and over. So anyways, um the two so main, there's no long term no long term effect. I mean you only like need years. You, no, you only need the eggs you're going to use for the eventual children you're going to have. You don't need to, you know, you don't, I don't give people a gold star for having had 700 ovulations when they get through menopause. You know, it's (laughs) not, not like, not a thing. Um, So yeah, in, in the hormonal reversible um, methods, there are pill patch and ring is essentially the the combination category and uh-huh. then uh, implant that goes under the skin of the arm or an IUD, which is an intrauterine device that would be in the, the uh, kind of longer acting uh, mm-hmm. category. They both, they have pros and cons. They're uh, pluses, minuses, but they are um, options. all options. Yeah. yeah these are all options for women of really any age. Interesting. That is interesting. Um, what about, the conversation about sexually transmitted diseases. So they seem a little more yeah. empowered with mm-hmm. ha- knowing that they have birth control options. It's more of a regular conversation. Like I remember when I was a teenager and my mom was like, why do you need to go to the gynecologist? Are you having sex? You know, and I'm like, right. I mean, yeah, um, totally. No, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, now it's like we're empowering our girls because they need to take charge of their mm-hmm. bodies and they need to be honest with the right people to be able to navigate that. But sexually transmitted diseases, do you think that they get that too? You know, they understand that? You know, I think they do. I, I It seems like whatever, and, and I see girls from all sorts of different um, school environments, they are doing a pretty good job of yeah. impressing that. And you guys remember that, like mm-hmm. high school, you'd go to the gym and they'd put up like a picture of a herpes outbreak and it was horrifying. I went to a Catholic I, school that really didn't they happen. They didn't happen, actually. Yeah. <laughs> They're still doing that. The girls definitely know. I always talk about it in these um, conversations. And when yeah, I find yeah. out that they're sexually active, I mean, I've been known to take a teenager with me back to the back room and look under the microscope with me wow. at a um, like a trichomonas or another STD that you can see that way. And I'm like, this is what's going on. And that a lot of times will will get them if if I feel like they're acting out or making yeah. bad decisions. But I, I do feel like they get it. I, yeah. I, that seems yeah. to, I'm impressed by their um, 
poise most of the time. That's nice. Yeah, that is. What about HPV vaccine? Yeah, that's a hot topic. Big topic. I mean, this is something I'm really passionate about. I mean, ideally, we want to be getting girls vaccinated, uh, you know, by 11. And boys. And, and boys. boys. Yeah. Right. I mean, both of my girls will have this vaccine. No questions because asked. Because HPV prevents cervical cancer? It is does. It the preve- HPV vaccine? It does. Exactly. Well, it prevents or it protects against the nine most common strains or the nine most important strains of HPV that lead ultimately to diseases, including cervical cancer um, and and things in in that nature. It's not, I mean, I tell folks all the time, I mean, HPV is sort of like the common cold of the vagina. There are hundreds of strains, like everyone's been exposed. Not all HPV is ultimately going to wind up being a big deal. The same way, not all colds are gonna turn into pneumonia or Mm -hmm. whatever, but we do have this, this in our pocket now we missed the boat on getting the vaccine as pre-adolescence right. people in our age group yeah, right. people in their um, 30s and 40s that being said the vaccine as of uh the winter of 2018 is now available for women up to age 45 so i'm offering it to people in our age group that haven't received it just because we don't carry hpv or don't know that we do i mean you never know this is potentially protective, you know, moving yeah. forward. I mean, I'm getting my series so right that's now. That's something yeah. you would get even if you're in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. Absolutely. You never well. know where life's yeah. going to take you. Yeah. I mean, I get yeah. a ton of this um, HPV coming in from second relationships from, you know, from mm-hmm. later in life. And it's it's a lot harder to clear in, in that yeah. age group. That uh, so I figure it, the time is now and get it if you can. There's zero downside. And I will also say, I don't know the statistic on this, um, I was trying to pull that up before I came in, but the the amount of severe cervical abnormalities I'm seeing in women in their 20s is dramatically lower than when I started in my training 15 years ago. Dramatically, I haven't and you done. You think a, that's from the vaccine? I absolutely think it's from yeah. the vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. Super Another angle of the vaccine, which we learned mm-hmm. a couple of podcasts yes, ago. We did a few. Well, 50 podcasts. Yeah, 50 <laughs> podcasts together. We were not connecting the dots. We had a guest who is a, a throat doctor, mm-hmm. and he was really advocating for the HPV vaccine. And Cheryl and I were like, what? what? It's this connection with ear, nose, and throat. And then he connected the dots of, of head and neck cancer, oral sex, and all that stuff. Yeah, um, and ACOG. We were like, oh, when the lights okay. went on for me, and well, like, oh, God, let's dim them. ACOG, <laughs> ACOG has put out a, a a recommendation that all OBGYNs get vaccinated that haven't been male and female um, because of our exposure over this career to, you know, to, you know, particles in the air and when we do procedures and things like that. So it's definitely um, a big topic. I see zero downside. We offer it in the office. Like I said, most of the most of the girls I'm seeing, uh, thankfully, have been vaccinated Mm -hmm. um, via their pediatrician, but we do do offer it. What kind of supplements do you think young girl, young women should be taking? Are there is there a list or you know, this um I have sort of a neutral feeling. I think for people that don't eat a highly restrictive diet, that supplements for the most part are not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um there are some specific examples for, you know, known anemia or certain restrictive diets like vegan or mm-hmm. um you know, 
those things. But most of our foods are fortified fairly well. And I think a balanced diet is the most important for anyone. But a good old-fashioned one-a-day women mm-hmm. is probably going to take care of most people across the spectrum. That, that's a that's a good I – don't, I don't advocate for that brand, but some – Something like that. Yeah, yeah, some single multivitamin for women um, – mm-hmm you know, specifically is probably fine. I think that gets a little more, um, there's, that's less important than it maybe seems or it gets the, gets the hype over mm-hmm. per se right. from a medical perspective. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. So and welcome. We'll have you back know, on. You. So Fantastic. we're excited for the next podcast. You can find Premier Gynecology at premiergynclt.com and on Instagram or no on Facebook at Premier yeah. GYNCLT. And you can find us at charlottesmartypants.com on Facebook and Instagram at charlottesmartypants and on Twitter at charlottesmarty. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty Podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottesstarroom.com.